It's my great pleasure for me to be here again each, each time. Uh, a couple, I think about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, I had an opportunity. And um, <clears throat> this is kind of just another continuation of, of that from a while back. Uh, on the names of God, the last time that I spoke on one of God's names, it was uh, the Lord who is our righteousness, as all wrapped up uh, in Jesus, our righteousness, all there, all in one place. And uh, this is another one of those uh, names that is just a, a strong tower, an unveiling of God that is so incredible and so critical and so um, ingrained in actually who he is that uh, I just pray that you would be uh, very encouraged. Uh, pretty familiar story um, and an amazing God that it's good to be reminded about some things. So let's pray and then we'll take a look at the scriptures. Okay, Father, we just give you thanks once again just for your name. Actually, we just sang about how glorious your name is, that your name is wonderful, that your name is Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's so many names, and each one of them meaning something different, a different attribute, a different facet of a beautiful, glorious thing that you are, all that you are, to our hearts and our minds individually and others throughout the ages, Lord. Human beings have come and to find, even as we have, that your name is trustworthy that we can call upon your name, that your name is a strong tower and that those who run to it are, are safe and they are saved and there's so many other blessings that come. And we sing songs about your name and we ascribe goodness and greatness to you because you are worthy. And so we just ask now, um, as Paul wrote in the book of Corinth, that the things that we're going to speak about and think about are spiritual things and they require your spirit to actually open our hearts and minds. And so we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and for hearts to comprehend. Even as Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And so I ask that you would come and exalt yourself, exalt your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It even says that in the Scriptures. He wants us to know Him. And throughout the centuries, from the very beginning, He has been unveiling uh, truths about Himself. And that unveiling, He delights in doing. That's who He is. And it's so incredible because He gets opportunities to do it over and over and over again. In fact, the Scriptures say, from one generation to the next generation, that generation from generation to generation, that believers have a responsibility and a privilege, it's a glory for us, uh, to teach the next generation to learn to call upon His name, to learn to call upon Him, that He is faithful, that He is amazing in all of His ways, that we are to get to know Him, that we are to praise Him, that we are to put our hope in Him. And the Scriptures all throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, attest to this over and over and over again. And so do the testimonies of our lives. And so that our testimonies begin to sing the very praise and song that come right out of the Scriptures. And so even our reading of the Scriptures and our exulting in them becomes an act of worship, not just constrained to singing songs, but of adoring Him, of acknowledging who He is and all that He has come to do. Um, the psalmist writes that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but that I will boast and we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. And so that's where we start, right? When we get to know one another, as we come into a relationship with others, we start with getting to know their names. Now, the cool part about God is He's got so many cool names. Just so many names. And so there's some names 
that are in the scriptures that we don't even really realize that are there, and he's waiting for us to explore them. And the beautiful part about his names is that they're not just something that they got off of a list, you know, that what are the popular names this year that we could use to name our children. Um, But they all have some specific meaning, some unveiling, some uh, opportunity for us to come to know him in a deeper way. Our God is a limitless God. He's incredible. So what I want to do is let's start, uh, open up your Bibles to Psalm 139. A really uh, familiar psalm. One that um, gets spoken on from time to time. Uh, ones that we might be familiar with as well. And the first point of what, what I'm going to be talking about today, about the Lord, who, the Lord who sees, is that the Lord knows everything. He knows everything, and yet He loves us anyways. The Lord knows everything, and yet He loves us anyways. And in Psalm 139, we have this picture uh, of the knowledge of God that is built upon. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, some of God, God's omnis, there's actually several of them that we talk about, like God is omnipresent. That means that He's there. He's everywhere. In fact, that's one of His names as well, the Lord who is there. Actually, that's one of His unveiled names, uh, that He's all over the place. Uh, this one happens to be that He is uh, omniscient, that He knows all things. There's another one that He is omnipotent, that He is all-powerful. Uh, I love that picture of God, like just how great he is. Uh, a God that is not fashioned by human hands, you know, throughout the ages. Some people like take wood and they carve it up and they do a really good job at carving and they make an idol and then they begin to worship it. And even God says like, look, those idols can't even speak. They don't have a voice. They're not alive. They're things that are made by humans' hands. And I'm telling you, like, uh, the God of the Bible, the one who created all things, uh, I love the picture of Jonah at the beginning of Jonah. I've probably shared that before, but where they're like, the storm is going on and he's running from God. And they're like, dude, what are we going to do? Bring everyone on deck. Now we're pulling lots. One of you guys, it's your fault. And they pull lots and Jonah's lots get pulled. And they're like, who are you? And, and what God do you worship? And he's like, I worship the God who made everything. The earth and the sea. Yes, the sea that is about to kill us. And they're like, well, we're throwing you overboard. Ooh. Actually, they don't try and do that right away. Uh, and then they apologize to God. Like, God, don't hold us against us. Wouldn't that be interesting? Like, uh, after they threw him overboard and then the big fish swallows him up. And then the, the sea is calm and they're like, Whoa, that actually worked. We didn't really expect that to work. We're going to worship this God now. We're going to worship Him. But He knows all things. So the omnis produce different things in the lives of human beings. For some people, they're just indifferent. They're just indifferent. Like, they just don't care. Uh, and maybe at one time in your life, you might have been in that area. Or maybe you're there right now. Like, it's not really a big... Like, the thought of God is there, but it's not really a big thought. You know, sometimes you think about it, but it's not really something that has any significant gravitational pull that your mind actually has really spent some time pondering or thinking about in any way, Okay? And then in other people, the omnis, when they think about it, it, it produces fear. I'm just being honest with you, like, because it is kind of scary. Is there a being that has made me, that has fashioned me, that has created me, and that holds all things together? Because maybe if there is one that is like that, maybe I will have to give an account, like some people believe. You know, maybe he is actually tracking some of the things that I say or some of the things that I do, and I'll have to give an account. And so for some people, it's kind of scary to think of that. And then for others that have come to know more about him, that have, been fight, that have been invited into the fullness of a right relationship with the one true God, the omnis bring comfort. And I think we see that right here in Psalm 139. So starting in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. So this is a sidebar. Indifference, fear, or comfort about that. That he has searched us and he knows us. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows what we're going to say even before we say it. Isn't that incredible? Like, there's nothing that you do, there's nothing that you can, there's no choice that you make, there's no words that you've given that have proceeded out past your vocal cords into the atmosphere that surprise God. He's not going to later on or tomorrow or later in this week, you're going to make a choice, you're going to say something, and God is going to be like, wow, I didn't think, I didn't see that coming. He already knows. He knows our thoughts even from afar. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. Or even if I make my bed in the grave in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Isn't that incredible? As we go through these situations in our lives, circumstances that come in, the waves roll in, the flames begin to build, the bonfire around us, our circumstances begin to hem us in. Our vision of the world, of those around us, of our preservation of our future begins to dim to the point where we almost feel blind. And yet God says, hey, look, 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 look. I'm right there in the middle of it. Because it doesn't matter how dark your situation gets. I knew about it in advance. And I could see the end from the beginning. I know exactly where you're going. And in the middle of that darkness, it's not dark to me. It's not dark to me at all. I'm right there in the middle of it. And it's just like daylight. So trust me. I'm hemming you in. I'm all around and about. Indifference, fear, comfort. You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Hey, is this only for believers? Or is this every human being that has ever lived? Has he crafted them all? Every single person? Has he put us all together? And he goes in and he he sings more about how we're not hidden from him at all. In every... Uh, you saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not even one of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Our God knows everything. There is not a single thought that it's hidden from. Now, there are some things that are kind of scary because later on, like when Jesus shows up on the scene and he invades the earth, there is Things like, hey, look at your heart attitudes and the posture of the things that, who you really are, not the person that you present externally. Like, I know that person. And one day, it's going to be shouted from the, from the rooftops. And, and there is this thing that we have to do. There is a thing about God knowing us, but there's also some incredible comfort because He has the ability to transform and to change us. Look at the whole Scriptures talk about this. And you want to know, one of the things that God actually wrote about the knowledge of God in His book is that His knowledge is so intense that His understanding is beyond measure. God actually says this in His book in several places In uh, Psalm 147, verse 5, it says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Like, when we come up against the clash of of eternal Scripture, and this is a beautiful thing about the Bible, you know, we have this uh, oak tree. 
And when we first moved in, our property is only like a quarter acre lot. And we have, and for what, like the tree that they planted in the, in the front of our yard, uh, it died. And so they decided to plant a new one there. And they planted an oak tree on this little tiny lot in between the, the road and the sidewalk, right? And I'm just thinking, I just laugh at that because, you know, it's, it's going to get huge, man. The sidewalk is going to, it's going to destroy it. The house is going to be eclipsed by this tree if it grows to all of its fullness. And this particular, this particular year, the, the tree is filled with acorns. I don't know. It's just like massively. It's not a really big tree, but there's just acorns everywhere. So one day I come home from work, and I, I try not to park underneath it because I don't want to fall on my car and stuff because they're kind of big. And I come home from work, and Aiden is outside with a scooter and a friend, and they're pulling the acorns like off the tree. You know, they're bending that leaves down and pulling them off, and they're bringing them into the driveway, and they're smashing them with the scooter. You know, they're like driving over them. They're like, man, they're just having such a great time. And the driveway is just covered with them. And I'm like, Reds, we have an issue. I get her on the phone. I'm like, we have an issue. I'm calling her from the car, you know. We have an issue. We have an issue going on. The kids are in the driveway right now, and they're smashing all the acorns in the driveway. They're making a mess. And uh, um, so, you know, she comes out, and they're like, okay, that's not a good idea. Well, little did I know that, and I figured this was going to happen eventually, but before I thought it would, the squirrels would come. And, man, they have just ravished that tree, you know, like all of the branches and the leaves are on the ground, and there's just... I mean, it's not even close to the mess that Aiden made. Not even close. It's just all over the place. And I keep thinking about the passage in Peter that says that the grass withers and the flower fades and the acorns come and the leaves come out on the tree and then they fall to the ground and pretty soon it's going to be bare. Uh, But the word of God endures forever. So this enduring word about God and about his ability for his understanding, when you go to that enduring word that even the grass withers and the flower fades away and the acorns fall off and the mess will get cleaned up, it says about God's understanding that you can't understand how much understanding he has. We can't even rub up against it. That's how much wisdom he has. That's how much knowledge he has. That He, he declares the end from the beginning. He talks about this kind of stuff. Uh, Paul, uh, by the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans, actually says, Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. This is a God that is worthy of our worship. Worthy of the worship of all humanity, of all time. And we wouldn't even be coming close to the beginning of his worth. He is significantly incredible in all of his ways. And he even declares that of himself through the scriptures. So that being said, we have a picture of our God's all-knowing nature, open up to Genesis chapter 16. And we're going to take a look at the story. Genesis chapter 16. <clears throat> All right, so in Genesis chapter 16, we have the story. Don't you love family? Do you like how God created family and stuff? And how he made it? You know, you, you get, I get the feeling like, you know, he creates trees, and, and I think there's a lot in God's uh, natural creation that is just declaring you know, the, even the psalmist, right, is just declaring his praise. And, and the fact that the way he created family, that it's created in such a way to declare his goodness. Uh, and, and there's so many interesting things. And, and sometimes, you know, we have great, good, awesome blessing that comes from our family. And then there's these other times when things are just really messed up. You know, and they're really messed up. And we still learn something about God in those days when the messed up seasons come. Just like when we learn about the great things, like when children come into the world, or we celebrate weddings, or we do these other amazing things, these accomplishments that we're so proud of. And uh, this story uh, that we're embarking on in Genesis chapter 16 has got some messed up stuff in it. Some messed up family things. 
Uh, I'm not going to focus on that part because what we really are after is to get to know him in a better way. So we're going to try and focus in the text on uh, the Lord and his character and the unveiling of what he did in this particular situation. And then what I want us to see is a divine pattern. This pattern in Genesis chapter 16 is repeated over and over and over and over again throughout the entire Bible, over and over and over. This is how God relates with humanity. And it is how God relates with you and with me. It's the same thing. So we see ourselves in the eternal text through the story of Hagar and Sarai and Abram. So let's take a look at it in Genesis 16, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So that's the beginning of the story. I'm saying that sometimes we have family situations uh, through choices that we make, through choices that others make. Sometimes it's not even the result of choices that just create conflict in our lives. Our lives are filled with conflict in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes emotional, sometimes spiritual. Sometimes it's just right there in front of us. We're not looking for it. It comes. Sometimes we stir it up and create it. I mean, in this particular situation, we look at it and we're like, okay, well, maybe the culture is a little bit different. In either direction, even if the culture was a little bit different. Do you remember the story when Jesus broke in out of the scene and he he taught a little bit on marriage? He actually did a couple times. And uh, one of the things that he told the disciples, it, it always amazes me when I think about this passage, but he told the disciples, he's like, look it, look, look, look. look. <clears throat> he might not have said it this way. This is my kind of interpretation and in kind of mo- modern carry talk. Uh, but he said, look it, look, look, look. One man, one woman, until death. That's the way that it's been from the very beginning. And, and anything other than that you get outside of what God had originally expressed. And do you remember what the disciples said when he told them that? They were basically like, are you crazy? That's crazy. That's crazy talk, Jesus. One man, one woman until death. That's just crazy. How could that even be? In fact, uh, I'm using a little bit of interpretive good, like uh, creativity there. What they actually said was, if that's true, it's better that I never put a ring on them. If that's true. In other words, I like the freedom of having the opportunity to have more than one wife. And, and, and you're trying to change something. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not changing anything. This is the way that it's been from the very beginning. That's how creative 
it was. It was Adam and Eve in the beginning. In the beginning, I'm, I'm going all the way back to the beginning. This is the way that it was to be. And in this particular case, in this story, whether culturally or any other way, um, they, they had made a decision. And I'm saying that in general, given the, the vastness of all revelation, was it the best decision to make in the world? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not the best decision. And it created conflict. And so we have these sorts of conflicts in our own home sometimes. We have these types of things that come up. And, and, and our marriages aren't necessarily always fireproof either, even if we be believers, even if we have faith in God and we read his word and we desire to worship him and we know him. The difficulties come and, and conflict arises and the conflict leads us somewhere. So the next piece here is Hagar ends up in a crisis, right? There's conflict. She's in a crisis. Some of it was created a little bit by her. I think the text actually spells out that when she found out that she was pregnant, she started to, you know, poke fun at the fact that her uh, mistress, her Sarai, the other wife of Abram, was barren. And, and she got mad about it. You know, we get mad about that kind of stuff, you know, when people start poking at, at, who, at our core of who we really are. And, like, I wasn't, able, I wasn't able to have children, and now, you know, I've been hurt by that over the years, and we're going through this other process, and this whole thing just backfires, and, and Abram, you know, he's got his own little thing going on there, I think. Uh, I'm not going to go into but you get the idea. Hey, do whatever you want. That's his wife, you know. I mean, she was giving her as a wife. He's got some responsibilities, I'm saying, maybe. I don't know. And, uh, and she begins to treat her. And she, so here's, here's some of the divine pieces. A crisis into a human being's life. And uh, the Lord us out. A crisis comes and the Lord seeks us out. So this is the next verse in Genesis chapter 16. Check it out. The Lord seeks us out. The angel of the Lord found her. Spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, And where are you going? He said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And, And what we see here is, the Christ comes into our lives, and it can come in many different areas. In this particular situation, she had some relational, familial crises that took place. And then what happens in the middle of the crises is, sometimes we just get more combative, or rather than trying to tackle it way or whatever way that we see fit, and she runs into the wilderness. Now here we see God, who knows all things, her together in her mother's womb, who knows her thoughts from afar, you see the initiating character of our God. He is a God who is desirous of connecting with His and humanity. Not just in general, but in very specific ways. So here you see running into the wilderness, trying to run away from the difficulties that she's facing, and God, bam, shows some sort of human form almost, the angel of the Lord, to speak with her. What It makes me wonder if she even realized it, that it was him, you know, that it was him. Maybe in her despair, in her grief, she's on her face and that's wondering what her next steps are going to be. Where am I going to go? I'm not going back there. I'm not going back home. <laughs> you know, getting tossed from one thing to the next. Am I going to get into What's going to happen? Who's going to take care of this baby? Am I going to make it through childbirth? You know, and all of these things that are happening. This is typical of our God. All through the macro picture of the, the scriptures, this is who our God is. He is a God who is 
not a God who sits back from He's a God that's who's, who's in knowledge does not, is not just a knowledge that he's amassing and then holding in, in, on the throne of but one that moves him into action. Thus, he came down into the garden after he ate the fruit. Adam, where are you at? What's going on? Where have you been? What's happening? Did you eat of that fruit? Isn't it interesting, too? Have you ever had that happen? Like when God intersects your life in a crisis? That sometimes he starts with questions. Have you ever gotten those questions from him before? You know, like, he, he's just like, does he not know the answer? I mean, look at the question that he asked her. Hey, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? I mean, we just read Psalm 139. I mean, he knew her thought about when she was beginning to consider the possibility of running away. Did he really need to ask that question to gain some sort of knowledge about the situation that she was in. No, he was there intersecting the crisis of her life in the middle of an emotional moment. God gets down on our level. He seeks us out. In the garden, he sought Adam out. He went and got the animal and sacrificed the animal and created the covering. You know, one of the biggest intersections of God seeking us out that we have in the Scriptures, and there's a lot of them, there's a lot of them, but one of the biggest ones is Bethlehem. The fact that one day an angel came to this young woman, Mary, and said, you're going to conceive a child. And you're going to give birth to this child. The power of the Almighty is going to overshadow you. And you as a virgin are going to conceive a child and give birth to a, a child into the world. And you shall call his name Jesus. We trust in that name. We sing about that name. For he will save his people from their sin. His name means Jehovah saves. The God who is intersecting, who is seeking out a way, making a way of escape, trying to intersect the crisis and deal with humanity in a way that will bring praise and glory to his name and maximize and increase our joy. That's what he does. And in this case, he comes and he asks those questions. Jesus put it this way in his own words, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what I'm here for. I'm intersecting history. I like one of, uh, one of Michael Card's songs. One of the lyrics that I thought about for a long time in one of his songs is that he said that eternity stepped into the flow of time. That's one of his lyrics in his songs. Like, he steps into the flow I mean, how much more intersection can you have that he takes on human form so that he can be our high priest? He has suffered the things that we have suffered. He has dealt with the things that he has dealt with. He's worked through familial betrayal, through family difficulties, through political hardness, through, through a, a season of time in, in, Israelite, in Israel's history. He's, he knows how to come to our aid in the middle of temptations, for he has been tempted just as what we are in all ways, yet without sin. I mean, I don't know of a better way of describing God intersecting our lives. It's incredibly significant. And that's not, I mean, that's just looking at it from the standpoint, too, of the cross where he intersects the situation of the slavery of sin that was initiated through Adam's choice saying, I'm going to take that sin on me so that I can remove the crisis from you. 
I'm going to, I'm going to take the crisis on me so that I can get you out of the crisis, so that I can provide a way of escape. Uh, the scriptures put it this way, that he made him who knew what? No sin. To become sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that we can escape the crisis of the wrath of God that is to come upon humanity because of our wicked choices. Because of our difficult choices that we've made. I mean, that's a God who seeks us out. Not one that is wanting to to beat us down into dust. Not one that takes pleasure in the death of the wicked. But one who loves to the uttermost, even the ones in our minds that must be the most despised in his eyes, that he reaches out in an attempt to intersect the crisis of their existence so that they might come to know him in a greater way. In Titus, Paul said, For the grace of God, Jesus has appeared and he has been bringing salvation to all people. John, in his first letter, wrote it this way, You know that when Jesus appeared, he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. An intersection of the gospel in the middle of humanity's crisis. These stories, like Hagar's story, is very real, but paints a metaphorical picture of something greater, of something of a greater leverage, and so also is the story and testimony of our lives. So we have a crisis, and the Lord seeks us out. And then the next thing that happens is, the Lord gives direction. The Lord gives direction. Take a look at the passage in Genesis 16, verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. So he comes first and he asks her a question that he already knows the answer to. Establishing a rapport. By the way, maybe some of you have been reading the Gospels. Think about this. He does this over and over and over again with the woman at the well with each of the disciples that he called out, with uh, Lazarus in Bethany when he died, and uh, Mary and Martha and others. He's intersecting. He's intersecting the man who was born blind and the, the girl who died and, and the centurion who had a sick son and, and, all, and over and over and over and over again. All of these things are pictures of the fact that he is a God who knows, who understands, who is involved in our lives. And he comes in the crisis He seeks us out and he gives us direction. Now check out what he tells her to do, right? Go back and submit to Sarai. I'm just saying, have you ever, have you ever heard him do that? You know, like, and then we, what's the response? I know. That's crazy talk! I mean, I'm looking for some options here, Lord. Like option A, B, C, D, uh, door A, B, C, D. I know you want me to go through A, but that's not an option. That's not gonna, that's not like, you're not telling me to do that, right? No, that is what I, I, I want you to do. And then we go through, sometimes we, we have this conversation and it goes on and on. It can go on for years. I'm telling you, it can go on for years. I'm telling you, go back and submit to me in this area. I need you to forgive that. No, 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 that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. I'm not, we're not, no, I'm not there. No, look, 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 look. I'm here, and I know you. I know the end from the beginning. And I'm telling you, even though this seems like it's an impossibility, 
even though this seems like this is not anything that you would ever choose in and of your own accord, I'm telling you, this is going to bring the most glory to my name and it's going to lead to the greatest level of joy in your life. Notice I did not say happiness, but if you submit to me, in the end, I'm telling you, this will work out for your good. This is going to work out for your good. And so we argue, and the tension is there. This tension between his direction and our desire. He's more willing sometimes to speak to us than we are to obey. And then in the middle of his direction, as he seeks us out and he meets with us, and he tells us, this is the way that I want you to go. Take this step. The tension comes. Are we going to obey out of faith? Are we going? And there's, there's another crisis happening internally. Do I trust you? Is this a God, a shepherd God, who is worthy of my trust? Or am I going to choose to guide and direct and make decisions of an, my own accord? Do we throw out the direction that he gives and choose our own way? And it's interesting because God does allow us to do that. He will. I think there's certain boundaries because of his great love. But um, he can allow us, and, and we can, as any of us in this room can attest, can make quite a mess pretty quickly, and he doesn't stop us necessarily from doing it. I had an interesting situation uh, not that long ago, actually just within the past couple of weeks, and uh, I had a situation where one of uh, uh, um, an individual in our house needed to seek me out and uh, wanted to get some guidance you know, from me. And if any of you know me close, I, I don't have any problem getting any sort of guidance. I give guidance when guidance isn't even requested. I don't wait for a crisis. I just start laying it all out there. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of how I roll. And uh, it usually gets me in trouble most of the time, by the way. And in this particular case, uh, the, the individual sought me out and was like, hey, I need some advice in this particular area. How do you feel about this? And I began to, you know, I had a whole sermon outline. I was like, I'm getting ready. I'm just going to, you know, I got all the barrels loaded. I'm like loading them all up. And I, I started the sentence. Like I got halfway through the sentence and the Holy Spirit was like, shut up. And, uh, and I, uh, immediately, it was one of the rare situations where I listened to him, you know, because sometimes I just, sometimes I tell, when he tells me, like, to be quiet, I'll tell him, like, no, you just go over in your corner over there, and I'm going to just continue. I'm like, no, you're going to get in trouble, Carrie. And I'm like, I know, but I, I want the trouble right now. I'm like, you're going to be sorry for it later. I know, but I don't care. I'm on fire right now. I'm going to do something. In this particular case, I was willing to be obedient, and I was like, and I know, like, the person, the person was really surprised, because they were like, hey, there's no sound coming out of his mouth, and that's unusual. And, uh, and then I think what, what happened in that particular case was like, then they thought, oh, no, now I'm really afraid. Because <laughs> he's just getting ready to do something else, right? No, all right. Uh, God can give us direction, and he does give us direction. Are we willing to submit to the direction, even when sometimes it doesn't... By the way, sometimes it does make sense. Sometimes you knew the right thing to do even before he told you. And, and you were like, yeah, okay, I know. And, and other times he's like, no... I need you to trust me, even though you don't understand in this particular situation, you need to do this. And, and we're like, well, I'm dark. It's dark. Even the darkness is light to me. Even in the darkness of your soul, even though you cannot see your hand in front of your face, I am there. I know the end from the beginning. I put you together. I am after your joy. I am after your good. I know you better than you know yourself. And I'm asking you in this situation that, is, that has been crafted to trust me. To trust me in this area. And it is, I'm telling you, it is a work of grace for us to call upon his name in that situation and trust him. I think it's, it's a miracle in my life. It's a miracle. It's a miracle just as much as 
Lazarus being raised from the dead or um, others being healed from their injuries. It's incredible. But this tension develops, especially when his direction is not the path that we would choose for ourselves. Jesus put it this way in the sermon. He said, uh, we need to have, we need to listen to his words. He said that everyone who listens to my words and then builds their life around the words that I have been teaching is like a, a wise man. And they're building their house upon a rock. And when the storms come, the foundation is so strong that the flames will not destroy the house. The storms will come, but the house will not be blown down. And if you hear my word and then you build your house on the sand and the tide comes in, great will be the destruction of the house. And in the end, I won't be coming. He doesn't come to us and say, like, I told you so. We do that. I told you so. I told you that was what was going to happen. No, he comes with loving arms. He comes with loving words. He comes there again and meets us even in the middle of that crisis. He just comes over and over. And his pursuit is so persistent over and over. His arms open over and over and over again. But the reality of it is, as we come to the, to the, hopefully, the place where we do understand that even non-believers get this, that there's certain gravitational rules. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if I grab this book and I drop it, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. There's laws that he, that he puts in place, and there are laws as well, spiritual laws, true laws in his word, that when we, when we line up our lives with him, we find blessing, and when we don't, we don't. When we line up our lives, when we build a foundation of our lives upon the teachings of Christ, upon the teachings of God's scriptures, upon who he is, not just with a mental acuity, but with a raised, grace-filled, spirit-endowed life, that we do find his ways are right. His ways are right. And we build a foundation. And when the storms come, and they will come, our house is not completely and utterly destroyed. Jesus said, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough anxiety. Put your hope in me. That's an instruction for those that have a tendency to worry about the things of the world. Okay, so we have a crisis, and the Lord seeks us out, and then the Lord gives us direction. And the next point is, He gives us His promises. Oh, this is a treasure. This is a treasure. In the middle of the crisis, He seeks us out, He gives us direction, and He gives us promises. Look at verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely... Have you ever heard him say that stuff to you? That's some pretty incredible truths right there, man. Those are, those are gems. When the, when the black and white becomes more than black and white words on a page, when he speaks to you with his voice and he makes the promise, I will surely, I will surely take care of you in the middle of this circumstance. In the middle of this crisis, I will be with you. When you follow my direction, I will be with you. I will surely, in this case, multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand against everyone, and everyone against, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. 
in this, in this sort of passage, you see his transcendence, his ability to know all things, and his, and his ability to intersect the very personal situations. You are pregnant, and I know it. You are going to make it through this pregnancy. You're going you're gonna to make it there. In fact, I'm going to help you out even with his name. I'm going to help you out with his name. And he's going to father a multitude of nations. I'm there in the middle of the situation. He's giving her promises. And, and, and look at what he says here. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. I'm telling you, he is a God who sees, which is attributed as well to a God who hears, which is attributed as well to a God who knows our circumstances and is intimately involved in them in the middle of the crisis. He seeks us out. He gives us direction. He gives us promises. And sometimes the promises are essential to our spiritual and emotional sanity. I'm telling you, go crazy without it. Because the darkness becomes dark sometimes in our world, and we don't see a way out, and hope begins to leak out of every single aspect of our life where once we had it, almost to the point where we feel like, did I ever have hope at all? Or was that a shadow? What was that? Was that a dream that I was walking in before? Because it's so dark in the middle of the situation and the promises become critical. And I'm just going to throw out a couple of them. You probably have some in your mind. But Paul actually writes this, that um, in Second Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There are times in my walk with God when my faith might fail. I'm just telling you. Uh, even, even when, with Peter, Jesus told him, like, you're going to be tested. He told him in advance, you're going to be tested because Satan asked to sift you like wheat. And he got permission to sift him like wheat. And he's like, your faith is going to fail you. I'm going to go with you, Jesus. I'm going to go. There's no way I would ever deny you. There's no way that I'm going to deny you in the middle of my family circumstance. I mean, I just got done worshiping at church. I've been reading the Word. I've been praying. I mean, there's no way I'm going to deny you. And I'm telling you, there's going to come a time, and we're going to do it, where we deny Him. And you know what the Scripture says? That even when we are faithless, he still remains faithful. We haven't broken our relationship with Him. The nearness, maybe, of our communion in those situations uh, begins to muddle our spiritual senses to where we can get a little bit crazy and we don't make the best decisions in those situations. But He remains faithful. Oh yeah, sometimes we don't think that that's the case because the situations of our crisis eclipses the fact that He is faithful and, we're, and we begin to question His goodness. Are you serious? Like, how could this happen to me? This wasn't in the plans. How did this happen? How did this monetary crisis happen? How did this sickness happen? How did this relational breakage happen? Have I not followed you with all of my heart as much as is possible? Like, are you still faithful? And we begin to question the faithfulness of God. And I'm telling you, sometimes we need to have that brick foundation of Jesus actually saying, like, look, I remain faithful even when your mind and demonic spirits and yourself and the world is telling you that I'm not. I am right there. I'm right in the middle of it. And I, and I remain that because that's who I am. Actually, that is one of Jesus' names. Did you know that? Book of Revelation. He is faithful. That's his name. It describes who he is. 
He cannot deny himself. Uh, I like this one, Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 5. He says that he will never leave us or forsake us. And I'm telling you, there are times, there are times when I feel, and there may be times in your life what you have felt or you will feel, that the Lord has left you or forsaken you. And you can turn to Psalm 22, and you can look at Christ on the cross, and you ask in your heart, why, oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me in the middle of this when I need you most? And so then we have songs about it. And we have poetry like footprints and, and other things that, that help us to understand, no, 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 no. Even when I don't understand it, even when I don't feel the nearness of God, I know that He is right there with me. He is the God who sees me. He is the God who is there with me. And even if I don't feel like He is near, He has not left me. He has not forsaken me. And we have this evidenced in Christ. We have this evidenced in Christ. For He has been raised from the dead. A testament of the fact that God accepted His high priestly offering of His body. And that, the breaking of His body and and the death that He embraced for us was there so that we will never be forsaken again. Ever. He will never forsake the Son and neither will He forsake the ones for whom the Son has gathered. They are of His Son's lineage. They are part of the kingdom that He is giving to His Son. There is no way He will do it. But I'm telling you, you're going to have spirits that come to you and they're going to lie. And sometimes the circumstances of your life are going to erode your faith in certain areas and in certain ways, and you will be tempted to believe that He has forsaken you. And we need to be those people that have built a foundation upon the rock and have come to understand and see the story over and over and over again that He has not left us. And I'm telling you, it's not a mental trick. This is not something that we just need to be repeating the verse over and over and over again. It's true truth. It's who He is. It defines who He is. He never will leave us or forsake us because of what Christ has done. And we have this beautiful passage in John 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For He did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved so that He will not have to forsake us. I love it. He is just and the justifier of those that have faith in Christ. He cannot be condemned by the enemy for declaring those who believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins to be not guilty. He will not forsake us because of the payment that His Son paid, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. And even in the macrocosm of the Gospel, I'm telling you, even just like the food that you're going to eat today is a reminder of the fact that Jesus is the bread of life and that He is uh, living water, so also the, the close personal crises that you have are there to direct you to the Gospel to direct you to Christ. And so don't think of salvation in in justification terms only. We do that sometimes. You know, where we're like, yeah, I was saved. I'm telling you, that's part of it. Justification is part of salvation. But there's also the I'm being saved and there's the I'm going to be saved. And you know what that is? It's like the justified, I'm declared not guilty thing. 
And then there's the sanctification, which Herb spoke on last week. The Lord who is our sanctifier, He's saving me today. And then there's the glorification part of salvation. And all parts of it are part of the Gospel. It's all part of the Gospel. There is the justification, the sanctification, and the ultimate glorification, and all of it is salvation. And so we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Lastly, in Genesis 16, we go into the crisis. He seeks us out in the crisis. He gives us direction. He gives us His promises. And we declare His goodness. He is the God who sees. Elroy, Genesis 16, verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. That is El power. God. Roy, seen. You are the one who has seen me. Look at the rest of her praise. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. She went back. And Abram gave, called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Uh, Abram. Listen, this is just an incredible story because, you know, not just about the goodness of God, but like, was Hagar called out by God like Abraham to go to the, from the Ur of the Chaldees to stop worshiping the moon and to worship the one true God? I mean, when you read the story, it looks to me like she was a slave. And, and then she runs off. So I'm just telling you, uh, listen, those in your family members and those that are hurting that you have discounted the most, he specializes in those people. He specializes in intersecting with them. If you love them, and Jesus said, if you, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does God love them? Like, she runs off, and the God of the universe shows up in physical form in the wilderness and meets with her. I mean, can you imagine when she returns? I'm just saying, I'm going to use a little sanctified imagination, but can you imagine Abram being like, You've got to get out of here. Abraham, you know, Sarai is still like mad. You're, gonna, like, you're in for bad. You're in for real bad. What are you doing? I just want to let you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not God. What? what? I'm sorry, what? I'm not God. I'm not, I'm not the Lord. The Lord who sees. I'm not El Roy. My God? My, you met my God in the wilderness? Yes. And he even gave me a name for this child. And I'm just saying, like, what ended up happening going on there, you know, in the, in the communication, in the story? You are the God who looks after me. And the communication that happened there between them. And look, it's still, you know, like we make bad choices and there's some repercussions. And to this very day, there are still repercussions. I'm still amazed at the fact that just two generations later, Joseph is sold into slavery with what? By whom? Ishmaelite traders. That's not very far removed family members that bought him as a slave. I'm just telling you. You know, things get messed up and some of the choices that we make lead to difficulties, but that doesn't mean that God isn't there in the middle intersecting it. Look at Psalm 33 says this, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all of the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the, he who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. In Proverbs, it says that the Lord... Um, 
The the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of their paths. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and on the good. And I love this picture in Exodus. It's just another picture in the Exodus of the Gospel. 430 years of slavery so that we can have a picture of God's deliverance so that we can recognize Jesus when he comes and the spiritual deliverance that he was bringing and ultimately the physical deliverance that he's going to bring and the emotional deliverance and still some don't recognize him. But God says this about them, Surely I have seen the affliction, the God who sees, I have seen the affliction of all of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry, the God who heard me, the God who looks after me because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand. Notice, He seeks them out. I have come down. I am coming down to take care of business. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, He sees us in the slavery of our sins. He sees it. Not, not just the global thing. He sees the slavery of your sin personally and mine. He's seen it. And He's come down. And we have a testimony. He has intersected our lives. If you're here today, whether you're a believer or not, just the fact that you're here proves that He is seeking you out. He is on the initiative. It is by His doing that we are in Christ Jesus. He sees us in the slavery of our sin. He sees us when we are faithless. He sees us when we make good decisions by the power of His grace. And He doesn't celebrate more over one... You know that God doesn't love a future version of you more than He loves the you that you are right now? I'm serious. We, we get that in our mind. We have, we have this religious purpose and we think, well, yeah, God doesn't love me as much as He'll love me tomorrow because I'll make better choices later. No! That's not who He is at all. We're not understanding the fullness of who He is if that's the kind of stuff that we come to believe. But those are some of the lies that we whisper to ourselves or that uh, spiritual forces whisper to us. He sees us in the middle of our personal circumstances. And yes, He is desirous of intersecting them. And He does on a regular basis. You know, the story doesn't end there with Hagar. Ishmael gets born. They do name him Ishmael, which means, by the way, God hears. God hears. It's interesting that she, you know, I mean, it seems like she was awakened to faith. And uh, 13 years later, um, God meets with Abraham. Changes his name. Makes a new covenant with him. Says, uh, uh, I'm going to make a whole nation of you. Oh, yeah, no, oh, by the way, it's not going to be through Ishmael. I'm going to give you another child from Sarah. And, and Abraham, I just get the feeling that he was just grieved. No, 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 no. Lord, 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 Lord. Uh, no, 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 no. No, we're finally, like our family's finally working out a little bit better now. You know, it's taken a little while. There's been some healing. There's been some forgiveness. And, and this is not good. This is not, no, no, no. Let's not do that. Let's not go down that road. No, no, it's going to be okay. I am the God who sees. I know the end from the beginning. And so at 13 years old, Abraham uh, takes his son and circumcises him. And he circumcises, he gets, Abraham, uh, Abraham gets circumcised and all the other guys at 13. Um, it makes you wonder what, he's like, what? Are you serious? That's like, uh, go back and submit to her. Uh, uh, um, no, no, this is what I want you to do. Okay, 
all right, all right, all right. And we have this argument thing going on. And, and then what happens? Isaac gets born. A year later, Isaac gets born. And about three years after Ishmael was circumcised, um, they have a, a party, uh, a weaning party, you know, for when Isaac was weaned. And, uh, and at that party, Ishmael, you know, breaks, breaks Isaac out, you know, follows him the steps with Hagar in the beginning, you know, and starts doing, you know, making fun of him or whatever. And Nancyra gets mad again. And uh, says, they're out of here. They are out of here. And probably Abraham, you know, being the guy, uh, no, no, let's not, you know, let's not do that again. Maybe that's not a good idea. And God comes and tells him, no, no, go ahead and do that. We'll take care of it. And you know what? When it's up happening, Hagar ends up in the wilderness. He's 16 years old. They are dying of thirst. Dying of thirst. In the middle of a difficult circumstance again. And she's just trying to get away from him because he's crying. And she doesn't want to be there when he dies. And God unveils to her in the middle of that circumstance a well. Again. Again. The faithfulness of God in Hagar's life. And, and I'm telling you that he does that in our life as well. He points us to the well. And he happens to be that well. So, in summary, he knows us better than we know ourselves. The crisis comes and we turn to him. He's seeking us out. He gives us direction. He gives us his promises. We see him fulfill those promises and we praise his name. And the next day, another crisis comes. And we go through the whole process again. And we're like, all right, wait, 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 wait. And you would think that we would be like, okay, well, maybe I'll trust him more the next time. And then we find out, well, maybe that wasn't it at all. Like, I, I, and then we begin to wonder, did I learn the last time? And then you see the preciousness of the fact that he has to humble us again. And we call upon his name again. And we call upon his name to save us again. And even in the darkness, his light comes. And he seeks us out. And he gives us direction. And he gives us promises. And he fulfills the promises. And we praise his name. I'm talking about the minutia of our lives right now. Not to speak of the bigger ones. Like one day, Jesus is going to return. One day, everyone will be raised from the dead. One day, there will be a praise service that will thunder his praise like never before. And then there will be another one after that. And we'll climb the mountain of his glory. And at the Visto, when we think we've seen the totality of all that he is, we'll see the next mountain of his glory and we'll climb it again. And we'll climb it again. And our faith will become sight in one day. And we will praise him for who he is, even as we have the opportunity to do now. He is El Roy, the God who sees, who is near. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ and you have sent. You know, that eternal life is not um, when I die, I get to live. Eternal life is not me dying and then being raised again later. Eternal life is, being, is getting to know him. Getting to know him. And God has intersected your life and my life by sending Christ into the world so that you might, so that the barriers might be removed so that you can know him. I'm saying that if you do not know him, what's preventing you from doing that right now? What's preventing from, from you calling out upon his name and saying, I know that you are the God who sees me. You have fashioned me. You know me. And, and, and there's some barriers, my sin. And, and I'm turning to you now, God, by faith. I'm turning to you right now. And I'm calling upon your name. And the scripture says that for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm telling you, that's not a cliche statement. That's for real. 
testimony after testimony, generation after generation, finds it to be true. Not just justification, but faith in the middle of our circumstances. To, to walk in a way that is, that is contrary to the world's thoughts. To love in the middle of circumstances where it does not make sense to love. To forgive when it doesn't make sense to forgive. To, to live out a way of life that is in the footsteps of Christ himself. And if you have seen him and you know him, we call upon your name again still. Sometimes for forgiveness, sometimes for steadfastness, sometimes for perseverance. Sometimes we're in the middle of being persecuted and we don't know what to do and he intersects our lives there and he gives us direction and he gives us promises. And we find out without even naturally, without having to do it on our own, we call upon the name of the Lord. Let's do that right now. Father, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. We know what we need. Thank you for your faithfulness in the past. Thank you for your faithfulness even right now. And I just pray for each person, Lord, wherever it is that they're at, that you would intersect their lives as you have been, seeking them out, giving direction, unveiling promises, opening up our lives to faith that would lead to the praise and glory of your name and ultimately our joy. Lord, we know that in this world, we will have tribulation. But Jesus told us that we should take comfort in the fact that he has overcome the world. And so he leads us in an overcoming way. Even when the circumstances around us seem like it's impossible, you are there, the God who sees. And we cry out in your name. Amen.